Adventures. How you doing? I am Heisenbug. And I am Cloud4. Welcome to our show. <laughs> yeah, we're here on the Hacker Public Radio. It's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's an open source kind of radio thing and just kind of having fun with it. Open source is good. <laughs> open source is always good. So uh, what we're doing today is we're going to do a little topic on um, black box testing. Terrific. <laughs> All right. What is black box testing? That is an excellent question. Probably the best first question that you could ask. What is black box testing? Black box testing is testing some sort of code without the knowledge of the actual code itself. So not looking at the source, basically, of the code. So not looking at the lines that's written and just kind of testing the software as it is. Does that like, make to sense? To guess at what it is? Yeah, to guess at how it's created, to, uh, to find errors. To and... guess at what the code is. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Does that make sense? Sure. Or... All right. So, so the black box tester becomes an expert in the relationship between the program and the world in which it runs. You can think of black box testing. It's, it's named that way because this the software that you're running is this black box that you don't know what's inside of it. It's this ninja that's out there, right? It's ninja software. It's ninja software, right? So you know it has an input, and you know it creates output. You know there's some sort of processing inside that. You know what the input is because you put it in. You know what the output is because you see it, but you don't know what's going on inside, right? Okay. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay, so the... So the programmer, so basically it's named that way because the eyes of the tester can't see it, cannot see what's inside the box. So you look for incorrect or missing functions, interface errors, errors in data structures, and external database access errors, um, behaviors and performance errors, and, you know, initialization and termination errors. In order to figure out what it is. In order to figure out what's kind of, what's running that engine underneath. Does that make sense? Yes. Or, all right. So it's applicable to, you know, unit testing, integration testing, system testing, acceptance testing, a whole bunch of testing that we'll get into later here in this, you know. Oh, good. Okay. All right. I look forward to it. So, so what is it not? I mean, if black box testing is one type of testing, what's the exact opposite of that, right? White box testing. White box testing is a great thing. It's, it's, it's also called glass box testing, clear box testing, open box testing, transparent is testing, that testing then structural you know testing. It is? Uh, it's what? Is, is that testing when you know what it is? Absolutely. You know what the code is. So you have access to that code. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So the glass glass box testers often ask, ask the question, does this code do what the programmer expects? In contrast to the black box tester, does this product fail to do what users, either the human or software, expect, right? So does it fail to do what it expects or does it do what the code says it should do? Does that make sense? Sure. So it's a different type of testing. And it's applicable to a whole bunch of different types also. So so you're so does that make sense? Do you get the differences between that or um I think so. You had me right up to the end there. <laughs> up until the end there. So what part aren't you getting? Uh about the different questions. I didn't that didn't quite flow. Okay, so so let's look at it this way, right? Glass box texting, you have access to the code and Black box testing, you don't have access to the code. Right. So you're looking at, at glass box testing, you're looking at, okay, how, does this code work? 
Does it do what it's supposed to do? I'm looking at the code here. Where's I'm breaking down the code and black box testing. You don't have that viewable to that code. It's an opaque lens, you know, right. you can't see it. So you're, you're, instead of saying, does this code do what it does? Do you say, does this program do what it's supposed to do? Does this input make, does the, this output input make the output I expect? Okay. Okay. Now you can manipulate these things later and we'll get into manipulating them and breaking them and, and, you know, hacking into these sorts of things. But, but first of all, just testing it in general, you want to find out, you know, you want to get a baseline. You want to find out, does it do what you should expect in the first place? So there's different advantages to, to black box and glass box testing, right? If you if you were to use this in say, uh, um, in a, in the business world, right? So in glass box testing, you know, you um, can be commenced at an earlier stage because you don't have to wait for the user interface to be created to figure out, does the backbound structure of this program do what it does? Does the, does the, um, does the backend function right? You don't need to have the, func- the fancy um, buttons and switches and anything that the user does. You can just put in the code and see if the engine behind it works. Right. You don't need to create the steering wheel to turn it, right? Does right. that make sense? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So so that's useful. So you can do it earlier and you can test the possibility, you know, you, sometimes testing can be more thorough because you can input things in places that you normally couldn't in black box testing. They only allow the user inputs. Oh, okay. Is that, that you can change variables on the fly and try to break things and other things like that. Okay. The disadvantages are, since the uh, test can be very complex, you know, you need a highly skilled resource. You need a programmer. You need somebody who really knows the code itself, right. the language itself, to, in order to be able to do it. So it, it can be costly. It can be complex. It, it, there's a, And there's also a maintenance of test scripts. Uh, there's regression testing that needs it. There's a whole bunch of things that need to be done with this. Um and since it's uh, clo- tied closely with the application, a lot of people miss things that they do. Um, so if the person, you know, writing the code, you're looking at the code and you're like, oh, okay, well, it should do this, you know, it, but it doesn't and it doesn't and you can't figure it out. You know, it's because you're looking at that code and you expect it to do something, but it's not because it's the way it's set up. So a lot of times when somebody can't see what the code's supposed to do, they can go, okay, well, this is the obvious error. And then once you find out the error, you can, you can look at the code a little bit differently. Does that make sense or? Uh, sort of. Okay. So there are advantages and disadvantages to black box testing also, right? Tests can be done from, um, the user's point of view, which is great because you, you do tests from the user's point of view. Right. That I can see definite advantages there. Yeah. So you know, if it breaks and you know, if it doesn't break, you know, a lot of times, uh, also, you can write this code and you can do things and, and it, it works a million times, but you're not expecting a certain input that the user would obviously put in or that the user could put in. Right. You know, like if, if you put something with money in there and somebody put a dollar sign at the front of it and you weren't expecting them to put dollar signs in the... Oh, that can mess up everything. Yeah, that could mess up everything if you're expecting, if you weren't, you know, figuring that out. So they can be uh, they can be done independent of the developers. They you know and you can design tests uh, based off of specifications, requirements of projects, th- those sorts of things. So the disadvantages are without clear specs. Sometimes it's it's difficult to see and design test cases. 
Um, and also the test can be redundant of what the software programmers already done. And, um, but, but there's a lot of useful things about it too. Does that make sense or? Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, so we, we've used some buzzwords in here, right? Um, I, I think I'm going to skip some of the buzzwords and I'm going to go into, uh, different types of, of testing, right? So what is testing? What are you doing when you're testing something, right? To see if something works how you expect. That that's part of it, right? Okay. okay so there's there's two different kinds, right? There's ver uh, verification and validation, right? Okay. So with verification, you're saying, are we building this product right? And with validation, you say, are you building the right product, right? Ah, okay. So so with verification, you're saying, okay, if um, Let's, I, I like this example. It's, it's the Monopoly example, right? So it says, uh, if I land on Go, do I collect $200? <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's, that's verification, right? Validation is saying, okay, this, this has a Go, and it has to collect $200. But this is the game of life. You know, this isn't even close to the same game I That's wanted. That's the wrong game. It's the wrong game. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, you can collect money in it. It has $200. It has a go. But it's like, okay, but it's not even the game I want. It doesn't even do what I need it to do. So, that, so verification and validation are, are those sorts great of things. Great example. <laughs> great example. Excellent. Okay. So that you can have different things, different problems, right, with with these um, methods of ver verification and validation, right? You can have mistakes, uh, faults or defects, failures, and errors. Now, we kind of go through the difference of these. Okay, a mistake, right? What's the difference between a mistake, a fault, and a failure? Heck, I have no idea. You have no idea. So, okay, so a mistake is a programmer makes a mistake, Okay. So a programmer would a make typo? a mistake. It's a typo, missing a semicolon, you know, a, an infinite loop. I mean, tons of things so could happen. So the mistake is a typo. It's the wrong one. Okay. Or, or something. It's not necessarily a typo. It's maybe a, a mistake in uh, math, a mistake in methodology, oh, okay. a mistake in, you know, those sorts of things. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So a fault is where the fault is a defect in the program, right? So the program is screwing up is a fault. So the program messes up as a fault. A failure is if somebody observes this fault. <laughs> okay? So it's not a failure unless it's, it's not, observed? No, it's no failure unless somebody knows about it. <laughs> yeah. It's just a fault in the program. It's okay. a faulty program. So you, there's no failure. You, you have no idea where it's failing. If it's not failing, it, there, there's just fault in the program. There's no failure. So uh, other faults may re may remain latent for a while, but then eventually pop up, and then they become failures. Well, wouldn't a mistake also cause a failure then? A mistake could cause a failure and could cause a fault, but a mistake will cause those. They're not the same as them. Gotcha. So, yeah. So punching someone in the face can cause bleeding, but it is not bleeding itself. Does that right. make sense? Yes. Or, all right. <laughs> Okay, so uh, we get, get into some of the different types of testing, right? So when you're testing black box testing, um, there's different, different ways of testing here. And so, um, oh man, so I, I guess we should talk about equivalence partitioning. So equivalence partitioning is a software testing technique that's 
divides the input of the data um, into software units and partitions, right? Which is test classes. So in, in principle, the test classes are designed to cover each partition at least once. And so the technique tries to define the test cases that it covers classes of errors thereby reducing the total number of uh, test cases that must be developed. So, for example, if you're talking about numbers, negative numbers to zero is one partition. So you're breaking the numbers up. Zero, okay. uh, so one to six is another partition. Seven to 12 is another partition. And then uh, 13 and on is an invalid partition. So it's not even supposed to be, you're, so you're not supposed to have negative numbers, right? We'll say we got a program here. That we're uh, if if you if you enter one to six, you get one result. If you enter seven to twelve, you get another result. Anything below one is a failure, and anything above twelve is a failure. Okay. Right. So what what people will do? Well, they'll they'll try to figure out those partitions. They'll you'll input a few inputs on either side of those and see if it breaks and see if you get the correct solution or see if you uh, get a valid error or if the program faults. So you'll enter a negative number in in the field to see if it screws things up. You'll enter uh, a zero that's right on you know to see if if somebody's dividing by zero or something like that. You'll enter um, a six and then a seven. Okay, does a six give you the first section? Does a seven give you the seven, second section? And then you'll do the, uh, like a 12, 13. Does a 12 still give you the second section? Does a 13 fail like it's supposed to? What does a 12.5 do? What does a, uh, you know, 12.999 do? Uh, what if you put fractions in there? You know, those sorts of things. Does that make sense? or? Yeah, so you would do that in order to test the, the partitioning. Yeah, you do that a lot of you can do some boundary value analysis on it. So you, you test those boundaries by boundary value analysis, basically just testing edges of those data. And you can what you can do is you can create a graph on this. So um, a cause and effect graph. Uh, have you seen cause and effect graphs before? They're, they're, Probably. They're like fishbone diagrams. Fishbone? Yeah. <laughs> um, so... I, uh, a fishbone diagram, it's, it's a cause and effect diagram. Uh, so um, they're called, I believe they're called Ishigawa diagrams. There was oh. a, um, uh, uh, someone who, you, you know, the works of Deming and Crosby and a lot of quality analysis people. There's a Japanese guy called Ishigawa and he created the, the fishbone diagram. Oh, okay. Okay, so... <laughs> So this fishbone diagram is a cause and effect diagram where you put in, you know, different things and you try to figure out, okay, you test for measurements, you know, calculations, human errors, load problems, stress problems, security problems, and then you put your, you know, okay, well, this is a cause, this is the effect, this is the cause, this is the effect. And you can, you can map the, the problems in that, that software that way. Well, that sounds very useful. I know, it sounds pretty useful. So why, why, why should you black box test? So if it's a company, why should they black box test in the first place? Because then you're looking for errors from a different point of view. You are looking for them for a different point of view. Also, there's a, uh, the, there's a, um, 
a, co a, a lower cost when you're not having actual developers or the same developers that do it, you know, and uh, ah, you don't have to be code. as knowledgeable. You don't have to be as knowledgeable in it, you know, and, and you can test more things. You're testing it at the user level, which is where problems are going to occur. Right. And those sorts of things. Why do you need to test them early? Why should you even test in the first place? Well, there's a cost in finding and fixing errors. The earlier you are on the process, the cheaper it is to fix. That makes sense. So there's less dependencies, there's less problems, you know, it's easier to fix something the earlier on it is in the process. So if you're in the design phase and you find an error, it's a lot easier to fix than if it's already in production and there's a whole bunch of, you know, and you go, oh man, you know, the, um, the database is completely off of where it should be and we need to do change, I mean, go back to formula on some of these things. It's going to be a lot cheaper to fix it earlier. So there's a curve. You know, when you find your requirements, when it's actually coded and when it's released. Right. And it's called the, the 10, 1, 10, 100 curve. So if it costs you a dollar to fix at requirements, right, when you know, find out your requirements, it's going to cost you $10 to fix or 10 times as much to fix at coding level. And it's going to cost you $100 or 100 times as much to fix at uh, after it's already in production. Does that... Make sense? Of course or, it does. All yes. right. <laughs> so you uh, you want to basically go, I mean, there's money talks. So you can't, can't fix every error. But the cost of finding and fixing errors is how much does it cost to find the bug? How much does it cost to fix the bug? And how much does it cost to distribute the bug fix? That's really, that's really where your cost increases later on in the process. Right. Um, so sometimes it pays to uh, figure out the viewpoints of your stakeholders. So is this, um, so this is a really easy fix, um, but it really does nothing for the program. Nobody's even, even used this anyway. So should we just pull it out of the program? Or this is a really difficult fix that's gonna take a lot of time, uh, but it's really, really useful. Better fix it. So you better fix it, you know? So it's it's that sort of thing. You got to look at the cost of finding and the cost of, of fixing it. So um, basically, at the, at the programmer's viewpoint, if you find bugs and requirements, you can fix them without even coding anything because it hasn't been coded yet, right? Sure. Okay. <laughs> so it, um, programmers can find their own bugs and they can fix them and file bug reports, but it's a hugely expensive ordeal to deal with bugs that are already in the customer's hands so um you would do quality cost analysis and those sorts of things when you find these in black box testing it's a lot better to to test them earlier in the process and so te testing is important it's it's a necessary thing in in software um especially when you think of um the views of of the client of when when they get a faulty piece of software they really think that you're doing a crappy job this piece of crap yeah and you're like it, it's kind of funny that a lot of people will throw things out there with bugs that they know they're just going to throw an update later uh, microsoft is common for doing this right putting out really crappy code that they know they're going to have to throw an update in later just to get it out um, that's not the best way to do things. You you put a, a stigma in people's minds. Right. Yeah. So is there? I mean, could can you do complete testing? When when you when you test something, when you try to find errors, when you try to find faults, when you try to find, I mean, when you try to 
I guess, reverse engineer different things and you try to find um, different um, exploits in different things, right? Can you completely do it? No. No, that's right. <laughs> there will always be errors. There will always be errors. Can you test every line, every branch, every basis path? You yeah. know, it's testers will, uh, will find bugs, but they will they find all of them. Complete testing is not complete. You'll always have unknown bugs at the end. So uh, you would have to talk about coverage. So how are you going to cover the maximum amount you can? You know, how can you cover cover everything? Because you can't put in everything. So you try to hit the, the major parts. Here's an idea here. Okay, so you input A and input B, right? Okay. So you have input A and input B. And you're going to print A over B. So A divided by B. Okay. Right? So I'm going to test this. I'm going to set A to 2 and B to 1. Okay? So 2 divided by 1, I've tested it. Right? But does this achieve complete testing? 2 divided by 1 works. It works. It achieves the desired result. Does it? Is it complete testing? No. 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 Because what if I put a 0 in the denominator? What if I'm dividing by zero? Then it's hosed. Then it's hosed. So it's like, can you test every single number and every single division and every single, you know, thing? It's it's really difficult. Um, so you also have to spend time on it. You know, you only have a limited amount of time. So any time that you spend analyzing, troubleshooting, uh, effectively, you know, and effectively uh, describing a failure is time you no longer have available for designing tests, executing tests, reviewing inspections, retooling, documenting tests, automating tests, you know, supporting, you know, other tech support and training the staff. You just don't have the time. There's a trade-off in getting that sort of test done right <laughs> all right all right <laughs> so um so there are enormous number of possible tests that you can do um but can you test every possible input to every variable including output variables and immediate results variables can you test every possible combination of inputs to every combination of variables can you test every possible sequence through the program can you test every hardware or software configuration, including configurations of servers not even under your control? Of course not. No. Can you test in every way in which a user might try to use the program? No, you can't. No, <laughs> you can't. So, so consider this. So this is one thing I, I thought that was interesting. So Doug Hoffman, he worked on this MassPAR uh, computer, which is this massively parallel computer processing system. And this computer has several built-in mathematical functions, and he's uh, going to consider an integer a larger root. So this function takes a 32-bit word as an input, and any bit pattern in that word can be interpreted as an integer whose value is between 0 and 2 to the 32nd power. Minus 1. Now, there are 4,294,967,296 possible inputs to this function. How many of them should you test? Four. How many of them would you test? <laughs> A lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is it, is it possible? 
Okay. So do you chest test all the possible values? It's interesting. So when he did it, he tested every single one of them. And it took this computer about six minutes to run the test on this. Um, to compare the results to an article. So there were two errors and neither of them were any, near any boundary. So without an exhaustive test, he wouldn't have found those errors. It's, it's interesting. So, so well, there's more complex things to, to testing, right? So you have Easter eggs, which are bizarre inputs by design. You have edited inputs. Easter eggs. Yeah, Easter eggs. So bizarre, bizarre inputs. Like you're, okay. So an, so an Easter egg is like something that's a surprise, like in a DVD, you have an Easter egg hidden at the end or something like that, you know, where they have the long pause. Remember the old <gasps> the tapes? The old CDs. Where there was a where long a pause. And a sur- yeah, well, the tapes. when the, And the CDs came out, you're like, oh, okay, well, there's obviously something at no, the end. No, I have a CD where the song ends, um, but it's just blank silence for a long time. And at the end, there's more. Yeah. At uh, the end of that track. So there are usually hidden messages or jokes or something hidden created. messages or jokes. That's cr- fun. Created within some programs. Oh, people do it all the time. It's crazy. Um, it, it's wild what people put in their software. Hmm. So there's edited inputs where somebody will edit some sort of input. Uh, there's variations on timing, right? So do you test it on your own box? Yeah, you're testing the software on your own box, right? But what if somebody runs it on another box? What if they're running it on a server? What if they're running it on something that is a slower machine than yours? What if they're running it on, um, you're running it on your own box and you put it in production? Is production going to work at the same speed as your own box? Is production going to work with a heavy load as well as it would with a not heavy load? Is there a timing issue where if you just put a whole bunch of crap into that thing, does it break? Can you find an error in there? Can you exploit that error? Does that make sense? Or? Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. And then you get the extreme value test, right? So what you say, when you say, okay, no user would do that. What that really means is no user that I can think of who I like would do that on purpose. <laughs> you know what I mean? So no one like you would do that. Yes, exactly. If you're saying nobody would put a dollar sign at the beginning of this number, nobody would put a comma in there, nobody would put a fraction in there, nobody would put accidentally paste a space into there, nobody would, nobody's that dumb. Nobody would, do nobody that. would put, you know. Nobody would put, if you say, um, enter the number of dollars, what if somebody put 126 space and the word dollars? Oh my. Yeah. Would somebody do that? Yes. Could somebody put that in an Excel field? I can think of people. I could think of people. Yes. <laughs> would somebody go, oh, well, that's not going to work unless I make it blue. It looks pretty when it's blue. <laughs> No user would do that. No, users will do that. Dollars mean blue. If you can think of it, users will do it. And if you can't think of it, users will do it. They will find a way to def- defy the laws of f- computer programming. And they'll do it. Math does not exist when users are involved. <laughs> does that make sense? Or? Sure. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. So there's combination testings, right? You um, That you can do. That, oh, boy. 
uh, memory leaks in certain text that will have problems. Um, there's sequence testing that you can do that are certain problems. Um, but let's 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 avoid all that since we're just doing a basic uh, overview right now. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about the different types of testing, right? Okay. <laughs> okay. So we've got unit testing, integration testing, functional or system testing, um, acceptance testing, regression testing, beta testing. Um, have you heard of any of these before? Nope. Okay. So let's, let's start with one of them. Unit testing. What is unit testing? It's a white box basic version of testing, right? So where white box testers, usually the developers creating the code, will verify that the code does what it's intended to do at very low structural level levels, right? Right. So it does an if-then sequence. Does it go through the sequence, basically? You know, you're, you're you, at a particular unit. Gotcha. Okay? So integration testing can be black and white box testing. It's a low and high level testing design integration testing is testing the software components and hardware components that are combined and tested to evaluate the interaction between them. So if you've got little, um, drop down boxes, right? Uh-huh. So you're testing different combinations of, so you know that the left drop down box works and the right drop down box works, right? But what if you put certain things in one box and other things in the other boxes. Ah, Does the interaction between these, you know, have a, a result that could break the program? Okay, that's a good thing to test. Yeah. Yes. And there's functional and system testing, which is almost all black box testing. It's a high level design. Requirements usually requires specifications, requirements, you know, those sorts of things where you're testing. Testers examine the design and the customer's requirement spec and plan the test cases to ensure that the code does what it's intended to do. Does it do what it's intended to do? Functional testing involves ensuring that the functionality specified in the requirement specification works. Does it do what it's going to do? So you do stress testing, performance testing, usability testing, these sorts of things. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So okay. Is it you're looking kind of dazed? Is, are you sure? I'm sure. Okay. Yes. So let me go a little bit more into, okay, so stress testing. What, what do you think stress testing is? Um, yelling at it. <laughs> you fucking program, you <laughs> son of a bitch. You, no, no, no. <laughs> so where you jump up and down on it? No, no. So no? You, yeah, <laughs> you jump up and down. <laughs> you bend it. So you bend your laptop and you're stress testing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me stand on it. So it's evaluating a system or component beyond the limits of its spec or requirement. So um, you're saying, okay, well, I've got this software. It's able to handle, handle you know, up to 30 cash registers, right? Um, so let's say all 30 cash registers are running at the exact same time. Is it able to handle that? So you're able to hook it up to 30 cash registers, but is it able to... Actually deal with it. Actually deal with the load on Christmas Day. Oh! You know? Oh, it would be Christmas Eve, usually Christmas or, Day. Or, or Christmas stuff. Eve or yes. the day after Thanksgiving or whatever the, the big day is, right? So you want to make sure that you're stressing it beyond belief. Yes, theoretically, it works. You can hook all 30 up, right? 
but are all 30 cash registers at any so if you go to walmart you should do it when there's coupons yeah <laughs> when there's coupons and whatever <laughs> things yeah so when you go to walmart and you look at the cash registers are all of them being used at the same time well no no they rarely there would rarely be I've a condition to test that right yeah. yeah there would rarely be a condition to ever test that so that's one thing you want to go okay what if something happens and we need them all will it take down the system because that would be bad. Yes. So there's performance testing also, right? So what do you think performance testing is? Uh, how fast does it run? Close, yeah, yeah. So you're testing. It's testing conducted to evaluate the compliance of a system or component with specified performance requirements. Okay. It says it should look up this price in less than a second. Does it? Oh, okay. I'm going to take a spot watch, stop watch out, right? Does it perform as it should to the requirements? So you're basing these things off of requirements. So the first one was stress testing. Okay, the requirement said 30 cash registers. We're turning all 30 on. You know, the second one is performance testing. It says it should do it in less than a second. Does it? Right. So the third one is usability. In, in functional and system testing, in this black box testing, the okay. usability testing, right? So usability testing is testing conducted to evaluate the extent to which a user can learn to operate, uh, prepare inputs for, interpret outputs for the system, right? So while stress and usability testing can, can be and is often automated, usability testing is done by human-computer interaction. So, is this software usable? Is it usable to its specifications? Did they put a whole bunch of weird check boxes and weird things you have to do? Do you have to hit tab and type a whole bunch of stuff on every single page? Have you seen any gone to any place where people have done, like, they've typed a million things and then they scanned and then they've done all this stuff and they're like, okay, now I can... Oh, yeah. Do, yeah. And you're like, that's not usable at all. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it's exactly. So, that's where you get usability testing. So another type of testing is the black box testing is acceptance testing. So after all your functional and system testing is done, the product is delivered to a customer and the customer runs black box acceptance testings based on their expectations of the functionality. So it's a formal testing conducted to determine whether or not a system satisfies its acceptance criteria. And the criteria a system must satisfy to be accepted by a customer and in to enable the customer to determine whether or not they accept the system. That's basically, you get a bunch of checkboxes saying that, and the, the customer, the client, whoever, the next, and the customer doesn't have to be an external customer. It can be the next person, the, the other group, you know, if, if you, if you're a development group and you create this for operations group, it could be the operations group could be your customer. Okay. Right? And they're, they do their own testing on it. Does it work? Right. But they shouldn't just go run one version of the software the next day, run the next version. There should be some sort of user acceptance testing at okay. the end. And that's almost always black box testing. And then regression testing is, um, Test regression testing is selective retesting of a system and components. Um, it's basically to specify that you're meeting requirements. Regression testings are, are sometimes automated. They're both white and black box testing, and and um, 
it's basically just common tests that you do over and over every time something happens, something changes. Um, and then beta testing. So have you heard of beta testing before? Yes. All right. I don't know what it is, but I've heard of it. So you've heard of beta testing, right? They have it in uh, in accounting. Okay. So what what are they? Uh, what are they? What what is it? Do you think? Uh, I I've forgotten, but I I know about it. So I know when you talk about it, I'll remember. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> so you've got an advanced version of this software. Now it could be a partial version. It could be a full version. It could be Google where they leave everything in beta testing all the time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, it, but basically you've got a partial or full version of the software that's available that development organizations, you know, can offer it free to one or sometimes more, you know, potential users and they're called beta testers. And they'll try out this program and they'll look for bugs. They'll look for uh, identification of unexpected errors. Uh, wider population search for these errors, right? You've got all these people working on it. Oh, that, nice. That okay. are testing your product for you. That wasn't what I was thinking it was, so. Okay, okay. so uh, Linux distributions often do this. Well, they'll have a development version of the software and then they'll have a production version of the software, right? Okay. And so... So why would you do this, right? So you can identify these unexpected errors. Right. Yeah, before it's distributed to the yeah. larger. Because you've got a ton of people group. looking at this. you got you got a huge population of people from a wide variety of environments using them on a, a bunch of different hardware and software configurations and, you know, all these, all these sorts of things that you couldn't even test it for. Um, the costs are low. Because you're offering it for free, and they're doing it for free usually. Right, that's perfect. You know, and um, the the disadvantages are um, that you often get low quality error reports. You know, the the, the quality because the users may not actually report errors, or they may not put enough detail, or those sorts of. Because they don't of, care. They don't. Well, they care, but they're not. Maybe they're not as knowledgeable. Because if anybody can do it, you know, or if, okay, yeah. Uh, and um, much effort is um, necessary to examine these reports, particularly when there's a lot of beta testers and there a lot of people are coming up with the same thing over and over again. You know, and you've got to go through all these reports trying to figure out what's working, what's not. And then there's a, um, a lack of systematic testing because each user uses the product in a manner they choose. Right. So you don't know from beginning to end you know, how, how it's going, how it works. Right. Right. Okay. So let's recap here so we don't bore everybody. Good idea. And then, and then, um, and then, yeah. So what, what did we talk about? We talked about the unit testing, right? Which is a low level design test. It's a white box test in the actual code itself. It's a small unit, usually no larger than a class or a function. Right? That's your if-then statements, you know, your, your specific functions. You're testing a unit. Right. The integration testing. That's a, a multiple classes or multiple functions. It's, uh, it could be white or black box testing. That's Does it integrate with the other part of the software? Two right? drop-down boxes. So, exactly. Yes. The, the example is two drop-down boxes. Exactly. The functional problem. Um, you're, it's a high-level design as a whole product. It's done by an independent tester. It's usually black box. That's a lot of people consider black box testing functional testing. Right. Does it work as intended? Right. 
uh, system testing, and these are these are more requirements analysis as the whole product in a, in its representative environments. Okay, so you're testing the system itself, you know, as as it functions. Um, acceptance testing that's usually done by the customer or the client or whoever owns the software they accept the software they test it and go okay I accept this function I accept this I accept that I accept that it works beta testing okay there's no requirements here it's more of an ad hoc type of thing it it can be useful it can be it can be overdone you got a lot of people looking at it but Many of them are unknowledgeable in testing and um, and um, not good about reporting and usually not good about reporting or not reporting in a consistent manner. So usually um, the reports are like all over the place because you usually don't have a form, a specific form, you know, to submit reports in a unified way that they could be looked at and searched and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of work behind that when people do it that way. Right. But it's very useful because you got a ton of people looking at it. Uh, and then regression testing, which is usually some sort of changed documentation, something changed in the program or um, a part of it that you continually test over and over. Okay. So um, that can be programmer or independent testing. It could be black or white. It could be any sort of scope. Uh, does that make sense? Or? It sure does. All right. So um, I'm Heisenberg. I'm Cloud4. Uh, and... Uh, if you like this, if you want us to keep on going and go back a little bit farther into the testing, the types of testing, how to do these testings, and how to um, how to find bugs and problems in software, and how to exploit those to make software do things it wasn't intended to do, or you maybe wasn't didn't want to do, send me an email at uh, littlecodemonkey at gmail.com and uh, tell us to continue the show. So thanks for listening to Hacker Public Radio. Thanks for listening. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net. So head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.